announcement. Um, one of our members, Nick, uh, Mary Karaginas, her and her husband Nick are members of our church. They've been coming uh, for probably maybe eight months, a year now. And, and so um, uh, their son, Alan, told me that this, she's been struggling uh, recently with some headaches that aren't going away. And so she's been having some tests and the doctors have noticed some blood levels that seem to be just out of sync and they're a little high, I think. And just so um, I just want to pray right now uh, for her. And Nick took her to urgent care this morning, and so because it's just it's not getting better. And so let's, let's pray together as a church for, for Mary. Father, we, we just uh, thank you for uh, being here. Lord, we welcome you to this place, and we are grateful, Lord, to be here and to, to spend time with each other and to listen to you as you speak to us, God. Uh, right now, though, we want to lift up our sister Mary to you. Father, we, we know that you love her, Lord. You hold her life in your very hands, Lord. You know everything about her, Lord. You have numbered her days, Lord, and you, um, you know the very numbers of hairs on her head, Lord. And God, uh, Father, we, we just pray right now for, for her condition. We don't exactly know what she is facing. We don't know, um, uh, we really don't have much information to work with. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would um, do a mighty work of healing, Lord, in her life and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we thank you for your love for her. We, we thank you that... Um, you grant wisdom to doctors. You work with people that, that help, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just um, give help, Lord, to the people that she will meet with today and um, try to help them give understanding of what's going on in her body. But ultimately, Lord, we just lift her up to you. You're the great healer, Lord. Sometimes you just work things out miraculously, Lord. You move on our behalf many times in our lives, God. And so we would ask that you would do that in Mary's life, Lord. And we, we pray that as we go throughout this day, Lord, we would pray for her, we'd lift her up as we are uh, learning about what is going on, Lord. So we pray also for Nick right now, that you'd strengthen him, Lord, that he would be an encouragement, uh, support to his wife as she's struggling right now with this, Lord. Just help him to have the sensitivity that uh, would be most helpful in this time, Lord Jesus. We just commit her to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to watch a video as we get started.
morning. That, that video right there is a, is a training video that Chick-fil-A uses to, to you know, bring their new employees on board and helping them to understand um, one of their values, which is the value of people, and understand that everybody has a story, everybody means, or everybody has something going on in their lives that, you know, we have an exterior sometimes that we don't allow people to get past, but um, they work really hard um, from a corporate level to really help people understand that uh, these people have their lives, some of them are hurting, and there's a real opportunity to connect, make connections with people. And uh, I like Chick-fil-A, and I, I like them even more because of what they do and what they stand for. I really love their sauces. I mean, to be really honest with you, I love their chicken, and I love their sauces. Mainly, Polynesian and Chick-fil-A sauce. It's a great combination, you know? Dip some fries in there, get your chicken in there, but it's just good stuff. But beyond all of that, I mean, they, they have this idea, and Cody, our worship leader, Cody and I went to a conference a few years ago, and we got to hear from the son of the founder, and he talked about this thing called second mile service, how they work really hard to, uh, everybody expects certain things when you go to a fast food restaurant. They expect, you know, for their food to be hot. They expect their, for their food, for there to be, you know, ice in the machine. There's certain expectations you'd have. They try to think through all of those expectations, and they make sure those things are met, but they, then they go beyond it all. What would they not expect from coming here? And so they work on what people don't expect to, to create this, this wow. And, um, because they value people. They want people to experience something uh, great when they, when they walk in there. And uh, I think that's true. We, we look for ways to, meet, to, to connect with people. They do it through that service aspect. Um, we probably work in different ways to connect with people. I was looking for a way to meet um, one of my neighbors when we moved in a few, a few years ago, or about a year and a half ago, I guess two years I was trying to meet this guy, and it was just really difficult, and I was finding it really hard to, to make a bridge, you know, to just strike up a conversation. And before I knew it, one day I'm out in my, I'm out in my yard, and uh, he's out in his yard, and, and I'm just kind of doing my thing. I see him down the way, and, and then before I knew it, here he comes with his edger, and he says, hey, you mind if I edge your, your uh, lawn for you? And I'm like, I'm the one that's supposed to be trying to meet you. And he comes and he edges my lawn. And, yeah, I just do this once in a while and try to help out, help the neighbors out. I was like, oh, well. He, he, he did something that actually, like, laid down a drawbridge for, for him and, and he and I to connect. And it's interesting how if we'll make an effort, as he did, to connect with me, he served in a very practical way. You know, we were able to, to make a connection. We've all experienced times where this has been true, where we... Um, had stuff going on in our lives, and people served and met a need, and it allowed us to enter into a real relationship with them. It's, it's service, oftentimes, that is like that bridge for people. Maybe someone came in and they helped you uh, clean your house. You were going through something, a lot going on in your family. Maybe they helped clean your house. Maybe they provided meals for you, or maybe you just broken down and someone changed your tire or started, you know, they jump-started your car or whatever it is. But acts of service, our lives, I really think, there's a theme that I'm going to, to walk through in this message. And it has to do with the fact that we all um, love ourselves most. We love ourselves the most. And there's really an understanding of Scripture where we struggle with self all of our lives. Feeding ourselves, living for ourselves. And it's kind of like we have, if you can imagine, we're the king of a castle. 
or if you're a lady, you're a queen of your castle. And, you know, you've got your castle with just mighty walls. And there's no way for people to get in. There's this big moat, and just people can't get in. And you've got the drawbridge. And I really think that it is service that, that is kind of like the drawbridge for people to walk across into our lives or for us to walk across into their lives. And we're going to see out of Scripture how God actually made a real effort to connect with us in the person of Jesus Christ. And, but sometimes, and it, as it was in Jesus' life, service was the way that He did that. That's the way that we can find our way to, to open doors oftentimes. When, it, when conversation strikes out, when, when uh, other things maybe strike out, service oftentimes is what makes a real difference. And the Word of God, the Bible, really highlights this, um, not only to the individual, um, but to, to the church. Like, how is the church supposed to make an impact in an area? A big part of that is service. We help out. We want to be a place that helps other people. We don't just look to the interests of our own, but we also think about what's needed. That's why the Christmas offering primarily helps us reach out. If it's connected to us, it's, it's outreach-oriented, or it's partnering with other ministries, like what's going on at UCR, or Riverside Life Services, or... Just like we're going to hear next week, some international efforts. We really want to be concerned for other people because that is what God has asked of us. And that is like a drawbridge into those people's lives. And so, how can we, as a church, serve our way into more people's lives? That's a question I want us to really wrestle with. How can we, as a church, how can we serve our way into more people's lives than we are in right now? And thankfully, God really told us how to do this. And one of, the, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, I've been looking forward to this message all week just because it's a chapter that I love. It's Philippians chapter 2. really lays this out. Philippians chapter 2. Paul, early church leader in the first century, he was a church planter. He was doing things and working in places where no one else had, had reached into or provided leadership towards. And he explains in this chapter how serving and how helping is a key tool that God uses to draw people and to give hope to them. And Paul, just a little background, Paul was writing this letter while he was in prison. Really, he was on house arrest, awaiting, he was in Rome, and he was awaiting trial from the Emperor Nero. So his, his ministry was coming to an end, and he's keeping in touch with the churches that he'd started by letter. So he'd, he'd write letters to these churches to encourage them, to instruct them, to strengthen them. And he lays out in this letter um, some principles along with some examples. So he lays out a biblical principle, like a, a godly principle for life, and then he shows an example of how that's to look so that we know what to do with it. And this, even though it was written in the first century, it still provides a, a, just a real firm foundation for us to build upon as a church. And so I want to take a look at this. You can follow along. There's a listening guide here and pens there on your chairs. And so um, first off, he makes this point. Nothing will prevent us from helping others faster than disunity. If we want to serve our way into people's lives, we want to help others out. Nothing will prevent us from helping others faster than disunity. And in Scripture, this idea of staying on the same page, working together as one, is so critical that some of the strongest warnings in the New Testament Testament were against those who would try to divide the church. Paul came down so heavily and church leaders came down so heavily on those who would try to 
divide or separate or create division within the church. And so this is something so critical in the New Testament. God really cares about our unity. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1, this is where it starts out. It starts out with a call to unity. He says this, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now remember, he's the guy that started this church. He provided some leadership, then he went on and started more churches. This was the first church that started in Europe that he had planted in Europe. And he's writing this to them, and he's just reminding them of some things. He's like, God has brought you together. There's this unity in who God is. And because of that, you're united in Christ. And, and now, because of that unity, get some, he's encouraging them to get some things to, done together. He, he talks about some things that they have in common, like the fellowship of God's Holy Spirit. And he's saying, because of all this, uh, because of what God has done and how you're united together, that's your common ground. Now go after some things in unity. And he begins to lay out this passage for helping others, but he starts with this idea of unity. You have to work together. Nothing can cripple a group faster than disunity, whether it's a church. This, this applies across the board organizationally. A family, a family unit, nothing will prevent you from being effective um, like disunity in a family. Uh, a business, if there's a business that's just you know, splintering off and people are working against the leadership, that business is going to crumble. The unity is so foundational. If you're a family and your desire is to be like that shining star on the block who's really helpful, but your family's in constant chaos, division, fighting, victory, you're going to have a really, really hard time because of this issue. Same thing in church. Disunity will take a church off track fast. And years of really hard work can be torn down um, over splits and issues over things that are that are centered around self. And so Paul, he's just pleading, he's saying, stay together, work together. When people start fussing, the church really loses sight of some things. One is we lose sight of our mission. If we allow disunity to happen, we'll lose our focus on reaching out to those who yet to know Jesus Christ. Because what happens naturally when there's a problem, we're forced as a leadership we're forced, and as a church, to deal with the problem. We can't let the problem go because if we do, it will create longer-lasting issues. And so it takes our focus off of moving forward, and we've got we to spend energy on something over here on the side. One of my seminary professors, he said this. He said, the church has no message if its members have no unity. That's so true. We, we have nothing to say if we can't work together. And so Paul is saying here, the bottom line is this. If we're in Christ if we're walking in the Spirit and we're aiming to bring God glory, then we'll work hard to think alike. We'll work hard to love one another. We'll work hard to stay united in our purpose. And that, that's really the, the uh, desire that we have for this offering and for the focus of this series is we want to be united towards the mission, towards doing something for kingdom, for lasting eternal things. And... We're really serious about our unity as a church. We, for those of you who are members, you've committed to what we call the heart attitudes, seven heart attitudes. Those are New Testament commands that are drawn out of Scripture. We, we ask people to make a commitment to those, but many of those are tied to this issue of unity, protecting and promoting the unity of our church, working together at that. So consider asking yourself these questions. The first question is this. When unity is at stake, Am I a part of the problem 
Or am I part of the solution? When unity is at stake, when, when things are swirling over here, when people are complaining, when there's problems, when the leadership is moving in a direction, when you hear about something new, when unity is at stake, ask yourself, what, what part do I play? Am I part of the problem? Do I get on board with the grumbling, the complaining, the questioning, the criticism? Or, or do I stand for the unity of the church? Do I protect it aggressively? That's a, that's a question we need to ask. Another question is this. And you can apply this to your family, too, or your business. You know, am I a healer or am I a divider? Again, when things are being torn down and when things are hurting and things are off track, am I working to heal this or am I working to, to divide this further? There was a show, you probably, I don't know if it's still on. Is The Apprentice still on? Like season 25 or something like that? But I, when it first started, I was really into it. The first season, I was just super into it. And it kind of tied into the job that I was working in sales. And I was just learning from it and thinking, what would I do? Maybe I'll get called by Donald and, and Donald Trump, that is, in case you don't watch the show. But anyway, I remember really just getting into that whole thing. But what, what, when I think back about what they were trying to accomplish, oftentimes these groups would work together to... Um, Ultimately, they're trying to land a job for Donald Trump. But the, the testing ground, the, the training, and the show was all built around these projects that they would work on. And many of the projects were fundraisers, charities. They would do this or this, this or that effort to benefit this society, like breast cancer awareness or this children's fund or this. And they do these things. They had this at their heart. They wanted to get something done. But what was the show about? It was really about the controversy of the people on the show and how they, didn't, they hated each other. And they were all secretly trying to land this job, and they were willing to do whatever it took to get it. And so to see someone on that show who was really getting past themselves was a rarity. You know, you generally saw people who were, who were really, they were willing to divide if they got to shine in their minds. And so we have noble goals as a church. God wants us to have high and lofty God-centered goals. But if we, if we allow... Um, you know, division to spread or to remain, we will never accomplish the things that God wants for us. Another helpful insight from this passage is the second point is this. It's self always gets in the way of serving. Our self. This me. We always get in the way. Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4, he continues. He says this. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look, and this is the principle that he's laying out. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This verse clues us into what to look out for, how to know when my ego or your ego is getting away from you. Because the self will always prevent us from serving. Here's some things he says, and this is, these points are right from that text there. Watch for times when, when you're being conceited. We all struggle with ego. We all struggle with seeking after our own personal glory. Maybe it's with your looks. Maybe it's with status. Maybe it's with you know, the compliments I receive or the compliments you receive. Or maybe it's just these different things. But we really have to watch this idea of, of our ego and becoming too conceited. We get inflated views of ourselves to where we really can't view the needs around us because we're way higher. We're in this castle. We're locked away. And there's this giant gap between us and the world. And so... It's just very easy to separate ourselves. Paul goes on, he makes this other point. You're looking out 
Watch out for times when you're looking out only for your own interests. When we lift ourselves up, when we lift our needs up, our interests up, we completely will miss the needs of the whole or other individuals if we're just focused on ourselves. A need might come up in church life. Um, This happens often. Needs come up in church life, we have to make an organizational change. We start moving in a new direction, changes required. And it's a good idea until it until it requires that we change, and until it requires that we serve more, that we, that we have to risk some more, that we have to um, help out some more. There's just a real challenge because what happens is self crops up inside of us and it prevents us from being a part of the solution. It prevents us from really helping because clearly we all struggle with being more concerned about ourselves than we do about, about other people. So this is a real struggle. Paul's saying, watch this. Another thing he says to watch out for is when you're not genuinely concerned for others, just, you know, without realizing it, we can get really, really calloused to the needs around us. I, I do this, and I, I think, wow. I mean, and the, there's a song and a video that highlights this that I want to run in just a second. But if we're not careful, we really just can, can grow callous to people, to needs, to hurts to conflict, and just move through life focused on ourselves without any real care for, for each other and for others. And so what, what do we need to do is we need to take the time to give people our focus, to ask them questions, to learn about their life and their world. It's kind of like that Chick-fil-A story. But just real quickly, I want to run this video. This is that, uh, it's a song, My Own Little World, and I'm not into Christian music videos, so I don't like sit home and watch these. This isn't what pastors do with our free time. But, uh, but someone sent me the video and said, oh, this would go well with that point. And so I wanted to show you this. And listen to the lyrics and look, look at what's going on in this, in this video. In my own little world, it hardly ever rains. I've never gone hungry, always felt safe. I got some money in my pocket, shoes on my feet. In my own little world, population me. I try to stay awake till the Sunday morning church. I threw a 20 in the plate, but I never give till it hurts. Turn off the news when I don't like what I see Yeah, it's easy to do when it's population me What if there's a bigger picture? What if I'm missing out? What if there's a greater purpose? I could be living right Set a red light, looked out my window I saw cardboard signs that helped this homeless widow And just above that sign was the face of a human I thought to myself, God, what have I been doing? So I rolled down the window and I looked her in the eye I 
open hands and open doors Put your light in my eyes and let me see That my own little world is not about me Okay, you guys cut it. I, I just wanted you to see that. It's kind of spooky where the lady just appears in his car, you know. <laughs> Freak me out, so... But isn't it easy to do this? Isn't it easy just to live in our own little world and just live? Or, or isn't it easy to just live with our own little family? You know, but self will always get in the way of serving. And so we especially will struggle with this during this season. Because this season is, is even more so many times about us. It's very easy to make this about us. We often get more worked up over finding deals for ourselves than we do about taking care of the needs of those that are hurting among us. And, and God wants us to move past our own stuff. He wants us to, to trust Him with our stuff and as we go and help others with their stuff. He wants and He comes through. He provides what we need as we move past. Now, I'm not saying don't buy yourself gifts or don't shop for your family. But don't get just trapped in in that. Don't get trapped into believing that that's all that there is. <laughs> We're working some different effects here. So, um, so whenever you find this, whenever you find that the self or self is getting inflated, as this passage talks about, what you have to do is you have to slay the giant. You just have to decide, I'm going to put this thing down. I'm going to put I'm going to push and force self down so that I can not miss the opportunities in the world that I live in, in the world around me, because God wants us to help others. He makes this point as he goes on. This next thing is Jesus set the example. He gives the principle. Now he says Jesus set the example. He's the one we look to for, for how we pull this off. He set the example by serving in humility. This is what it looks like. It's humility. These next set of verses lay out the theme of what's known as the Incarnation. And some people believe that this passage was sung by early Christians to commemorate and to celebrate the fact that God Himself incarnated. He became a man. He became as like one of us. And it describes, this, these verses describe the second person of the Trinity. The Trinity is God, how He's expressed Himself as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these verses lay that out. And how the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, He was born... He lived and He died in human form to provide redemption or to provide a second chance. Redemption is, is hope for us, for all, human, for all fallen humanity. It's what God did through Jesus Christ. And so look at this, Philippians 2, 5-11. through 11. He, So again, verses 3 and 4 lays out this principle. Now He says, here's the example. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Verse 6 says, Who being in very nature God, meaning... Jesus Christ, He pre-existed as God. It's not, like, it's not that when Jesus was born, He came into existence. He, was, he had pre-existed as God. He has eternally existed and He hasn't changed. And He forever will be God. verse goes on and says, He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Meaning, Christ began to step downward from His high and exalted position as God. And he didn't cease to be God during 
his time on the earth, but he refused to hold on to his divine privileges. He didn't hold on to his divine prerogatives, his rights. He, he didn't grasp those things. Verse 7 says, but he made himself nothing. And your, your Bible might say he emptied himself. It really literally means to empty completely. He remained God, but he emptied himself of his rights and his privileges of that exalted position. He couldn't stop being God. That was impossible. Had he stopped being God, then he could not qualify to die for the sins of the whole world. If he stopped being God and he became not God and just a man, then he would have not have, he would have just perished on the cross and he would have died in the grave. But he needed to be God. He remained God. He died on the cross and he conquered death. He had the power because he was God. He was he had the power to conquer sin and to conquer death. And that's where our hope is built upon. It goes on. It says, he, taking the very nature of a servant, he became a servant for us. That word in the Greek it has to do with a bond servant, which was really the lowest form of servitude, meaning he owned nothing, not even the clothes on his back. A bond servant owned nothing, so his clothes weren't his. His life included, you know, even his life was really belonging to his master. Bond servants were even required to carry each other's or other people's burdens. They just they had no rights. He took the lowest form. He stepped. He had this. Jesus had this downward step from this high and lofty position that he held. And it goes on, and it says, being made in human likeness, and being found as verse eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he wasn't an angel. He actually became a true human being through. Virgin conception, that's what we're celebrating. And Christmas is the birth of Jesus Christ. We remember that. We celebrate that. But he became a man. It says he humbled himself. Another step downward, he just laid low in his relationships. In the view of himself, he laid low and he tried to put others first. It says he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So in his final step downward, Jesus just kept stepping down. He, he took the form of a servant. He humbled himself to people. And then he took death on the cross. He submitted to the lowest form of death. Crucifixion is perhaps the most gruesome and cruel, excruciating way to die. It would you know, have been much easier. God was doing something. He had, Jesus was fulfilling a prophecy here as well. But this was the most shameful form of execution that really had ever been conceived. And so Jesus, he just kept stepping down from this from the highest place that he held, the king. And like I said, you have to imagine, we in our minds have a hard time not believing we're kings and queens in our castles. And so he just kept stepping down from where he was. And that, that provided a bridge. Look where it goes. Verse 9 says, Therefore God, this is what happened through this, God exalted him to the highest place. He lowered himself completely. Then God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name because... He rose from the dead. Because of that, He was exalted to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this picture is just given to us. Jesus, He just keeps on working His way down to the point where He's punished by execution in a manner deserved by the worst of criminals. But then God boosts Him back up the highest place. He's exalted again to the highest place to where every person will call Him Lord. Some people will call Him Lord 
because they've yielded their lives to Him. Many of you have done that. Some of you are in the process of, of thinking through whether or not you're ready to say, yes, I want you to be the center of my life, and I want you to be the boss, the one who calls the shots and leads me from this point on. But many people will not take that step. Will not, they will refuse to give their lives to Jesus Christ. The Scripture says they'll die. But they will still call Christ Lord. They will still acknowledge Him Lord of all. It will be too late for them, but they will acknowledge the rightful, highly exalted place that He has, that He always has and forever will have. That's what this verse is, is touching on. But we, we really struggle with this idea of Christ stepping down and how we're supposed to step down in, in our lives as well and reach across into others. We, we think, you know, if we see a, ser- a leader serving, it almost seems like it's such a foreign idea, it almost seems like it's an impossibility. Because we think the big guy, the CEO, God, or, or just presidents, they don't have to serve anymore. They're way up high. Why should they have to do that? Um, but the truth is, this is the example that he set. Humility takes a lower position. And it's a choice that we make. Nobody can, can make us do this. We have to choose to humble ourselves in order to serve people. Let's continue where he goes. The next, he, he, he talks a little about the work that God is doing and He wants to do in them. We're going to look at Philippians 2, 14-17. makes this point. Serving together with the right attitude draws people to God. The way we serve, how we serve, it makes all the difference in the world. Philippians 2, 14-17 says, Do everything without complaining or arguing. That's, that's a lot for a man who's awaiting you know, trial and in a house arrest. You know, For him to say, Do everything without complaining or arguing. He, he could really say that because... He's not writing a bunch of complaints in his letter. He's got a pretty uh, positive outlook. Verse 15, So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe. As you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ, that I did not run or labor for nothing. And Paul's saying, But even if I have been poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. After a while, serving people can seem like a drag. And when it does, when it starts to make us tired and we, you know, the self rears its ugly head, we've got, we struggle with this area of grumbling. Usually if we serve for a while, it's okay, but we have to serve long term. We struggle with complaining, grumbling, arguing, disputing. So Paul says, you can't complain. You have to watch the way you complain because that has a big impact. First, he says, there's reasons why not to complain. First, for the sake of yourself. It doesn't help us. To complain. It actually prevents us from making progress in our own personal growth. Because God is trying to make us, He's trying to conform us into the image of His Son, in His likeness. He wants us to be like Christ. He's trying to make us more mature. Complaining and arguing actually prevents us from growing. So if you feel like, man, I'm kind of stuck in my growth. I'm not making progress. Check the area of complaining. Check the area of, 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 of whining of arguing, of disputing. That might be preventing you from making progress in this area. So he says, don't complain for the sake of yourself and then also for the sake of those far from God. Those who have yet to decide to follow Christ are looking at people's lives that claim to follow Christ. And we see Christians who take Christ seriously and it looks very, very different. And long term, that makes a huge impact. He's saying, you're offering something to people. You're offering the Word of Life. You... If you're not complaining or arguing, your life is very, very different in a world that is bent. It's crooked. 
And so to see somebody's life who is on track and making progress, that, that, that has a huge impact on others. And also he says, stop complaining just for the sake of your leaders. Paul was saying, it really helps me to know that you guys are on track. And this is true. If you're a parent and your kids serve and help out without being asked or they're not grumbling about it, man, it's like a gift to you when they do that. In church life, when, when we're getting things done together, when we're in unity, when there's not complaining, it, it really is a gift. We can move forward. We can make progress. And Paul was saying, in a way he's saying, you know, I'm pouring my life out as a drink offering. He's dying for the cause of Christ. And he was rejoicing in that it wasn't ripping him off. It wasn't a rip-off. He said, this is worth it. I'm seeing the progress you're making. And that's a motivating factor for, for him. And that, that's the same in a church as we work together. He wraps up with this final thought. Helping others often means personal sacrifice and possibly risk. So again, he gave the example of Jesus. Now he gives some common examples from some people who were in the, <clears throat> from some Christians who were who were like standing out as pace setters. And he says this. Philippians two verses twenty through twenty one highlights the, the man Timothy. Timothy was the man who Paul was sending to encourage this church in Philippi. And he said this about Timothy. He said, I'm sending you Timothy. I have no one else like him, verse 20 says, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Timothy was someone who was really burdened for other people. He was anxious over the fact that other people weren't, if they weren't doing okay. And this was known of Timothy. Verse 21 says, For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy was really concerned about what mattered to God, not just his own needs. And in the churches that Paul led, many, many people were publicly helping out, but many of them were doing it for the wrong reasons. But Timothy was a different kind of a guy. And so Paul highlighted his life. Timothy was single-minded in his focus, but he was sacrificial in the way that he lived for the sake of others. Then he highlights this other guy named Epaphroditus. don't really have time to go into his whole story, but Epaphroditus was a man that brought a gift at his own risk to Paul. Philippi, the church in Philippi, sent Paul, who was in prison, some aid, some financial aid, to help him meet his basic living expenses and his needs while he was awaiting trial. And they sent it by this man, Epaphroditus, who was known to be a trustworthy individual. And it says this, Welcome him, talking about Epaphroditus, who is now going back to the church he says, welcome him in the Lord with great, with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you could not give me. Paphroditus nearly died in journey to Paul. And it was really a miracle, Paul says, that he didn't die. But he risked his life because if Caesar had decided that Paul was now an enemy and he was going to be executed then it really would have put Epaphroditus or any of Paul's associates at risk. And so he was risking his own life to serve and to help out. And so when we do that, when we risk anything, when we throw aside anything, voluntarily our own welfare, exposing ourselves to danger, or when we just trust God with our own needs, it's huge risks. And, but that pleases God. That pleases God. And oftentimes it is the risks we'll take in life that allow others to drop the the drawbridge and allow us to walk across and to begin a relationship and to begin to share and give hope. But these two men are, were pace setters in the New Testament. Who, who will set the pace for us? Who will set the pace for service, for sacrifice, for risk in our church? Who will be those people that would, would appear that we could say, there's no one like this individual 
who looks out not just for his own interests, but for those of Jesus Christ? Who, who will pace that for us when it comes to helping and serving and caring for those? Don't, don't just wait for someone else. This is a quote. Don't just wait for someone else to set the pace for you. See the need and then do something about it. We're, we're going to spend a moment in prayer. The band's going to come forward. And uh, there, there are some steps you might consider taking. These steps, these next steps here also, you'll find them on the, the white connection card. I'd ask you to take that connection card out so that when the ushers come around in a few moments, then uh, you can drop the connection card in there. That really helps us keep in touch with you. But if you're planning to take any of these next steps, you might check the box on the back of the, on the, back of the connection card, and then we'll pray for you this week, our staff. The first one is this. Consider serving an unchurched friend or a neighbor in a practical way this week. Think about the drawbridge, and this might be your way into their, into their life. Clean a house, make a meal, mow a yard. Think about how can I serve the people around me. Secondly, reverse any complaining or grumbling through encouraging your leaders and fellow workers. Just turn the trend around and try to be an encouragement to those who lead you. Or say no to something in order to contribute. This is, has to do with risk. Say no to something in order to contribute to the Give Hope Christmas offering as we're reaching out. Let, let's go to the Lord in prayer. As the band comes forward. Father, thank you for our time. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, I just, I love the examples that we see in this chapter. I love the way that is laid out so clearly how Christ um, took the lowest form possible, Lord, and set everything aside, Lord, so that we could have eternal life, so we could have an opportunity to connect with you, the God who made us, the God who loves us, and who offers hope to us, Lord. Thank you so much for, for sending your Son to die for us, Lord. Lord, help us to keep an eye on the way we live our lives. Help us to not close our eyes to the needs of people around us, people in this church, people in this community, people even internationally. Lord, thank you for putting this on our hearts to, to be about some things beyond ourselves. Lord, we love you and we trust you, God, with the needs of our own church. As we look to the needs of others, Lord, we trust you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time together. We pray that you'd help us to have the courage to live these things out as we leave this place, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.